we want to continue the series on Jesus in the Old Testament this morning by looking at the second type or picture in the Old Testament that speaks of Jesus in the New Testament. As I introduced the series to you last week, you may remember that I said that the New Testament is actually in the Old Testament, but it's concealed. It's a little hidden. You have to really look. The Old Testament is in the New Testament, but it is revealed. And so this is kind of our, our lesson, our guidance for understanding the fact that we can find Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, we also noticed last week there's a key scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that tells us the reason for this kind of a study that we're doing over these weeks. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, and then verse 11. In verse 6 it says, these things happened. It was speaking about the things that happened to the children of Israel. These things happened, why? As a warning to us. In other words, we can learn something from that, right? So that we wouldn't crave evil things as they did. Then skip down to verse 11 and it says, these things happened to them. In other words, in the Old Testament, Old Testament saints, these events and circumstances happened to them, why? As examples. Everybody say example. And as an example to us, they're written down for us today in this age. And so with that, we can proceed today to uh, sing a song. No, no, we're not going to sing a song. <laughs> They'll help me. There we go. Uh, we're, today, we're not going to sing again. Well, we may. But uh, we want to talk today about our second type of Jesus that's found in the Old Testament. But before I introduce it and review it with you, what was last week's? You were here last week. Hopefully you remember. Jesus as what? The rock. We learned some things about the rock, didn't we? That out of that rock that followed the Israelites through the wilderness, what an amazing uh, type and picture and foreshadowing of Jesus the Messiah. And we learned a lot about that. Today, we shift our attention to Jesus as the Passover lamb. All right, this is really exciting stuff. Now, you may not know this, uh, but... Under in, in the scriptures in Leviticus, we're given that there were actually seven feasts that were considered requirements for the Jewish believers, uh, followers of Yahweh to attend. And we won't go through all those feasts, but one of the feasts was the feast of Passover. In fact, it was the foundational feast of all the other feasts, and it was the first feast that took place during the Jewish calendar. And so this really is a foundational experience even for the Jews in the Old Testament, but what we want to discover is that this particular feast, the Feast of Passover, is very symbolic. And um, symbolically, it is, typifies the foundation of the fullness of Jesus Christ and his plan of salvation. So that's what we're going to look at, and uh, I want to look at a New Testament scripture that will help to introduce the Old Testament story. So I want to connect the dots once again from the New Testament to the Old Testament, from the Old Testament back to the New Testament, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, the scripture says, for Christ, notice how it describes him, our Passover lamb, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So here without any hesitation, the apostle Paul draws a connection between Jesus Christ 
and the Jewish feast of the Passover, and he says, Jesus is today our Passover lamb. Now, unless you were a Jew during that time, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to you, would it? You might not know all the intricacies of it. So what we want to do is to dig into this and learn a little bit about what that suggests for us today. So if you would like to turn to the passage that I'm going to that, that, that I'm going to refer to here, and I'm not going to take the time to read the entire uh, 14 verses, but I'm going to reference different parts of it as we move through this chapter. It's found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, and this is where God lays out how the feast of the Passover was to be celebrated. And it gives us the history of the feast all the way back, and it took place the context was very important because it happened when the Jewish people had been imprisoned as slaves living in Egypt for 400 years. The Hebrew people had been crying out to God for deliverance and for mercy, and God sent it. So what I want to do is take these verses of Scripture, break it down into four specific parts today, all right? So four specific parts, and uh, we'll highlight each of them. But even in the, in the picture there, you can get an idea of, of what was going on as the, as the Hebrews were rushing in order to make sure that they obeyed God's direction so that their household and their children would be saved from the death angel. So specifically, let's talk about the selection of the lamb. The first part of Exodus chapter 12, in the first three verses, speaks about the fact that they were there was a plague. The tenth plague was the worst of all the plagues that had come against Egypt and Pharaoh. And what kind of a plague was that? You remember? It's the plague of death, right? That the death angel was going to pass over, and the death angel was actually going to take the firstborn from every house. Now, by the way, that was something that was going to happen, and it was going to happen to anybody's house, whether they were Egyptian, whether it was Pharaoh or whether it was some of the Hebrews that were slaves. If they were in Egypt and that death angel was going to pass over, it was going to bring death to that household, and it was getting ready to come. So uh, through Moses' direction, he gave the guidance to the children of Israel, to the Hebrew children, of what they should do to avoid this awful judgment. And the instruction was this, that every family was to take a lamb. A lamb for every household. Because the death of the firstborn was the curse that was coming, in order to avoid that, they needed to take a lamb for every house. I think this is intriguing in verse 3 when it says, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for every house. So every home, that this instruction was being given to all the Hebrews uh, that were living there in Egypt, every household was to do what? Select a lamb. Every single one of them. One lamb for every house. So in the generations that were even to come after this, they were celebrating the Passover lamb because Passover ties to this historical event of the exodus out of Egypt, but it becomes a festival and a celebration that the Jews were to continue to celebrate even to this day. We know that many uh, who are believing, uh, uh, who are Orthodox Jews, and any many believing Messianic Jews still celebrate and go through some aspects of the Passover. 
So in the gener- so so uh, when the instruction was given to find a lamb, it's interesting that it said that for four days prior to the slaughter of the lamb, uh, they the the lamb was to be chosen. So there was a four day separation. They were to pick a lamb. And there are some specifics there. We'll see about that kind of a lamb, what kind of lamb they were to choose. But they were to take that lamb, and that lamb was going to be appointed for death. So in other words, they they marked out this lamb that they were going to sacrifice, and for four days, that lamb was as good as dead. Now, it's interesting because Jesus Christ fulfills this. Because the fact of the matter is that his life had been marked by the Father for death as the Passover lamb during the years that he was on the earth. For not just four days, but for a better part of four years, the Lord Jesus had ministered upon the earth. And yet from the very beginning of his ministry, from the time that John the Baptist baptized him, do you remember what John the Baptist said as he saw the Messiah coming? He's getting ready to baptize him in the River Jordan. Do you remember what he said? Look who's coming. Look who's coming. What did he refer to him as? The Lamb of God who's coming for the sins of the world. Isn't that interesting? He could have called him... There's Jesus. He could have said, there's the Messiah. He could have used a lot of different terms, but instead, John the Baptist, somehow in his spirit, he knew this was, this Messiah was to fulfill what had been predicted and foretold even by the feast of the Passover all the way back historically to their days in Egypt. This was he. And he had already been marked out. This is at the very beginning of his ministry. Before he had cast out a demon, before he had done any miracles, John the Baptist says, there's the lamb. There's the lamb right there who's going to take away the sins of the world. Isn't that cool? At that very moment, Christ was set apart for his death. He was appointed unto death. If you want to think about it like this, he was singled out from the flock of Israel as the one that was to be the lamb marked out for death. You see, the death of Jesus Christ was no surprise. This was no accident. I guarantee it wasn't a surprise to God the Father. It may have surprised some of the Jews, but it wasn't a surprise to God the Father and God the Son. All along, the intention of God was to have Jesus put to death. He sent him to this world that he might die and become our Passover lamb. May I remind you of the incredible scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, that tells us this, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Do you see what Peter's doing? He's connecting the dots. He's talking about Jesus as the Passover lamb. And he's saying that Jesus, that lamb, without spot, without blemish. We'll come to that in a moment. He was singled out. When? Before the foundations of the earth. It was all established. It was already predicted in the foreknowledge of God. He had a plan to redeem his people. And the plan included Jesus being the capital L, Lamb of God. 
Revelation 13, verse 8 says, describes Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Many people today in the world, many secular progressives, uh, many unbelievers view the death of Christ as just a historical fact. Some of them look at it as an act of fate. Some people consider it a tragic miscarriage of justice. It was. But the Bible portrays this differently. The Bible portrays his death as an appointment that had been set in eternity past. And therefore, Jesus was set apart as a lamb, marked, appointed for death, even as the lamb at the time of Passover. If not for the lamb, death would have killed the firstborn from every house. So let's look at the next section of Exodus chapter 12, the superiority of the lamb. So we talked about the, the, uh, the first point, which is the actual selection of the lamb, uh, the, the selection of the lamb for every house. But let's speak about uh, what I will just call the superiority of the lamb. And you will notice right there in verses 4 and 5, it speaks to this. And the, and the scripture says this in verse 5, your lamb, in other words, the lamb that you pick for this sacrifice, your lamb shall be what? Without blemish. They were not to run, they weren't to, the Hebrews were not to look among their flock and say, let's see, what, what can we easily sacrifice here? Oh, let's, let's go get that lamb that's been, had the broken leg. Nope, not allowed. They were not to look for just any lamb. They had to look for a lamb without the slightest bruise, without the slightest scratch, no limp legs, no blinded lambs. All of those things would have disqualified that lamb from fulfilling Scripture. It was to be a lamb that was as perfect as they could find. Why do you think that was? Have you ever, have you ever just thought, why did God make it so difficult for the Hebrew families to find a lamb? I mean, this was to protect them from death. Why did he make it so challenging for them? You know why? So we could see Jesus in the Passover lamb. So there would be a foreshadowing. Everything actually in reality, everything about the Passover feast, everything about the event of the Exodus through the shedding of blood, all of it was intended to begin to point people's minds and hearts towards the coming one day of a Messiah that would be the final Lamb of God. So this hadn't, didn't have to be done over and over again. All of it. Why? Because Jesus was perfect and sinless in every way, wasn't he? He was the perfect fulfillment of this lamb that was picked. The scripture tells us repeatedly about the impeccable nature of Jesus Christ. He, he was and he is the only perfect man. Peter put it as the scripture that we already read. He said he was a lamb, what? Without blemish, without spot. That is the Passover lamb, Jesus. He was sinless in every way. 
We know that, uh, we know that even Jesus said, uh, speaking about the prince of darkness, he said, and the prince of darkness had nothing on me. Oh, no. That's in John chapter 14. He said, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. He has no hold on me. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 says it well when it says, and being made perfect, speaking of Jesus, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Hebrews 4.15 reemphasizes he was in all points tempted like we are, just like we are tempted, but the difference was what? Yet without sin, Jesus was a superior lamb. They were looking for the best lamb they could find in their own flocks, but when Jesus came, he was the final and most important fulfillment of this. Isn't this a beautiful visual image for us found in the text of the Old Testament, Leviticus and Exodus? Let's talk about the significance of the lamb. Selection of the lamb, the superiority of the lamb, but thirdly in that chapter we see the significance of the lamb. Now you might, you might look at these and say, ah, this, this part of the text, if I, it, it, when you read it on your own or if I read it all, you, it, get, it gets a little thick with detail. And you might say, oh, it sounds like just a list of regulations and requirements. Why? What's the reason for all these details? And when you read it, you might begin to see that they could have some symbolic reference. And many of them do. May I point out a few ways? First of all, notice that the lamb was to be, as the scripture said in Exodus chapter 12, it says, he's to be what? A a one-year-old male. I just find that intriguing. Not a baby, baby lamb. Not an old aged sheep. A one year old male. Hmm. Not too young. Not too old. Very specific. Why? God's plan was that the lamb was to die in the fullness of its strength. How could this possibly, without a stretching scripture, how could this apply to the Messiah, the Lamb of God? Well, when you think about when Jesus died, wasn't in his old age, wasn't when he was a young boy or in his youth. He died at the prime age of 33 and a half. Can you picture a man more in his prime than what Jesus was at full strength? As the psalmist said, in Psalm 102, the psalmist says, He has been taken away in the midst of my days. Speaking of the Messiah, in the midst of my days. In other words, in the peak of life, in the fullness of his strength, he was taken away. In verse 6, there's another interesting little requirement. It mentions this. The lamb was to be killed in the evening. You might just pass right over that thing. Not, Not a big deal. But literally in the Hebrew, that phrase in the evening meant between the two evenings meaning between the time that the sun is declining and sunset which literally to us that's late afternoon right 
guess what? That's exactly when Jesus died. That aligns perfectly with the timing of his sacrifice on the cross. In Judaism, we know a new day dawns at 6 p.m. That's when the evening begins. And so Jesus died between the two evenings. (laughs) Holy Spirit is so specific in making sure that we can see the Lamb. There's another interesting point, that the Lamb was to be completely roasted and burnt. You might say, well, I don't like burnt meat. I like my meat medium rare. In this case, no options on temperature. The lamb was not to be boiled. It says very specifically, not to be boiled, not braised, roasted, all the way through to the point of literally being burnt. Roasted how? Fire. No raw meat, not boiled, and you might say, what's the big deal? Because fire in the Bible is always associated with judgment. The fact that the lamb was roasted on fire is a symbol of the fact that Jesus, the Passover lamb, was going to be, if you will, roasted by the fire of the judgment of our sins upon him because he took upon him the sins of the world because God judged him he became sin and he took the curse for us on him that's why he is the Passover lamb amazing it also mentions that after they got through roasting the lamb they were to eat it they were to eat it And nothing was to remain until the morning. So they were to do this with the lamb, and we'll talk about the blood again in a moment, what they did with the blood. But they were to roast that lamb to the fact that it was well, well, well done. And then they were to eat it, and they said, make sure that there's none left over, no leftovers. Had to dispose of it all until the next morning. None was to be left. You think that has any potential connection to jesus as the fulfillment yes do you remember when they took jesus off the cross made sure he didn't hang on the cross exceedingly long time took him to josephus joseph's uh graveyard that the tomb that he owned we know that he was taken away there was no evidence of it past that and then of course we know that on resurrection sunday there was Nothing in the tomb. There was no nothing left. It's an interesting parallel, isn't it? May I just mention one thing about the eating of the lamb's meat? Because this is still a part of the Passover. You, you have to eat the meat of the lamb as they celebrate Passover. Uh, it's interesting to me that when the Israelites were told, the Hebrew uh, followers were told to eat the roasted lamb, It said that they were actually to eat it, but they were to be ready to go. They were to be uh, have clothes on, shoes on, clothes on. They're ready. So it's like it's almost uh, it's almost like we got to. This is fast food. We got to eat it and eat it and be ready to go. All right. So I mean, they had the lamb and they were all dressed ready to go. And the scripture says that when they left under Moses's deliverance, they left without the judgment of, of the curse upon them if they abided by this. 
And it said, and there was not one sick person among them. Not one. Now that's pretty amazing. We were talking about a million plus Jews. No feeble, no weakened, no sick among them. And I don't think I'm stretching it. It's up to you to make up your decision. But I believe when we eat of the Lamb, not only is the forgiveness of sin because of the blood of the Lamb, but I believe there's healing because of the body that was has stripes for us, Isaiah told us in chapter 53, for physical healing. So I believe when they were taking of the lamb, that was symbolic of the fact that they were taking in the healing and the health of the Lamb of God, of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Wow, what amazing significance. And as I said, when the next day dawned, there was to be no trace. It was all gone. And we know that that relates to Jesus as well. All right, one more point and we're done. I just wanted to show you the just to kind of make sure you have a visual of what they were doing here with the blood from the lamb. And this is the application of the blood. So we're going to look at the salvation in the lamb here in the last uh, couple of verses of this chapter. But uh, you will remember that the scripture said that they were to kill, slaughter this specific kind of lamb, perfect, without spot, without blemish. They were to take the, the, the blood into a bowl, and then they were to take a branch. It was a branch called hyssop, a very lowly like a weed, almost what you and I would call just a, just a little weed out here. They would take that hyssop branch and they would dip it into the blood from the, the lamb. You see the bowl in his hand? So they would dip that uh, hyssop into the bowl where the blood was and they were to go out into the doorpost of their home. Remember, one lamb for every house, right? So they take that blood with a hyssop. The hyssop was like a paintbrush. So they would simply paint the blood on the doorpost, both on the doorpost and the lintels. So on each side of the entrance and over the top of the entrance to the household, marking that house as being one applied the blood from the Lamb by faith. So let's talk about the salvation in the Lamb. These last few verses, it makes it very clear that Israel was told that on the night of the last plague that the death angel was going to sweep through the land and that the firstborn in every home was going to die. Well, that must have been some wake-up call. By the way, just remind you that there was no question in the, in the minds of the Hebrews for sure, and it, even including the Egyptians. By this point, they had no question that when the Lord said, when Moses said there's going to come another curse, they knew it was coming. Why? They had already had nine of them. <laughs> All right. So there was any question whether it wasn't kind of like, well, I don't know whether this is really true. Should we really think that there's going to be? Oh, no, no, no. They knew. They knew. And so was the answer. There was only one answer for the curse. The lamb. Only one. And the lamb was used by the application of its blood. It was the blood on the door that made the difference. If they had just killed the lamb and not put the blood on the door, the curse would have applied to their house. 
would have killed their firstborn. They could have had a good lamb dinner and still lose the firstborn if they hadn't followed the direction to apply the blood to the doors. Why? Because the salvation was in the blood. The blood is what made the difference. And guess what? It's still the blood today that makes the difference in someone's life. We're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us. You see, if it wasn't for the blood of the Lamb, if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, none of us could be sitting here today with our sins forgiven. I know many of you have been walking with God for many years and maybe like me had a childhood salvation experience when I was six years old. I took out that hyssop and painted my life with the blood that Jesus shed 2,000 years ago. But sometimes we just get real fuzzy and foggy about what a big deal this is. Our sins are forgiven if we've done this. And our life is guaranteed eternal forgiveness and eternal life with God. Amazing. The death curse has no hold on us. Praise God. He came to give us eternal life. May I just remind you in Hebrews 9.22, the scripture that says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. If the whole blood thing gets you kind of some like, you know, I don't get the blood thing. I don't. Just remember what this had to do back in Exodus. It represented the fact that the lamb had been killed. It represented the fact that that lamb died for the sake and the blood from that lamb. Mark that house. In the same way, Jesus, the Passover lamb, dies for you and for me. Here's what I want to leave you with, though. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it picks up on this same Passover theme. And it says this. It says they, speaking of Christians, defeated him. Speaking of who? Satan. They defeated him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. All right, stay with me, all right? The blood of the what? The Lamb. We defeat Satan, we gain forgiveness of sins only as we dip our hyssop in the blood and apply it to our life. The blood was already shed, has been shed for 2,000 plus years. The question isn't what's going to happen, is the blood going to be shed or not? That's already a done deal. The question is who's going to apply it? We defeat him by what? The blood of the lamb. Past tense, done, finished, over. And the word of our testimony. The blood of the lamb, that's God's part. The word of your testimony is your part. We, with our own mouth, becomes our paintbrush, our hyssop, that we dip with the word, our confession of faith. We dip ourselves into the blood that has already been shed. We apply it to our lives by that hyssop of our confession. And with our words, we apply it. And now, only through that step of faith are we now marked by the blood of the Lamb. You see, I know people who say, well, yeah, I believe, in the, I believe that Jesus 
you know, I believe in the blood. I believe that it happened. That's not enough. You've got to go dip in that blood by declaring and choosing your faith. You have to use your faith. What Christ did is not just an established historical fact. It's not enough for me or you to simply know that Jesus shed his blood for the remission of my sins so that I can have eternal life. The fact that the Savior is provided is not enough. He has to be received. And we receive him by the faith of our confession. There has to be an exercise of my faith in his death, in his blood. Faith is a personal thing. You can't inherit from mom or dad. You must choose. Parents, that's why you must raise your children right. Your faith alone is not going to get them into heaven after they've come to a certain age. So that's why you must raise them and teach them the word, put them in the right environment, help guide them, provide boundaries that they'll make the right choices in life because it boils down to whether they choose to receive that blood in their life. For every house, a lamb. And the blood had to be applied to their lives. In conclusion, Jesus is God's Passover lamb. We would do well to remember always and heed the words of John the Baptist concerning him. Behold. Look at carefully. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I know that most of you today can say, he took away my sin because I applied the blood to my life. And if you can say that without hesitation, just raise your hand and say, I know that. I applied it. I received it. Put your hands down. Would you stand with me, please? And bow your heads. Listen to me. I, I, I just never, ever want to assume that there might not be someone in this room right now that has not personally applied that blood. If you couldn't raise your hand and say, I know, I, I did that. I know I belong to Jesus because of the, the work of the Lamb for me. But I want, I want to do that today. Would you just raise your hands? If anyone say, I'm not sure, not absolutely certain. I couldn't raise my hand with certainty but I'd like to do it right now. Would you just wave at me so I know that you really want to experience his full salvation today? Is there anyone here? Anyone at all? All right, let me ask another question then. How many of you today can say, I need to remember. I need to remember better what the sprinkling of his blood has done for me. And I also need to use the fact of the blood that's been shed as a weapon in my life because I can defeat the enemy with that. Let me just say, I need to remember more or use it more. Would you raise your hand? And then you can put your hands down. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful today for the Lamb of God. We see in the passages of Exodus and Leviticus. But it was all designed to awaken people to the coming land. Now, Lord, we're looking back. 
We see it so clearly. It's so obvious now. Spirit of God, we're thankful that you've opened up our blind eyes to see. And Lord, we're thankful today for forgiveness. Forgiveness. Help us to always value and appreciate it. So much so that we can't help ourselves. We've got to tell others about it. In Jesus' name. Pastor Todd, you come and dismiss us with a word of blessing. This morning I do declare a blessing over your life, over your home, over the things that you're planning to do this week. Maybe that thing that just came to your mind today. I pray that God would use you this week in huge ways, and I bless you. Have a great week, and we can't wait to see you next week.